Welcome to the podcast of Tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. This is our episode number 113, released on April 10th, 2019. Today we are going to talk about Xing and Honeypot, about European VC trends, about the dark side of the acquisition of Eero by Amazon, and much more. As for today's pre-recorded interview, we have prepared a conversation with Alice Zaguri from The Family. Also, there is a special appearance of Elon Musk at the end, so make sure you listen all the way through this episode. I am your host, Andrei Degler, joined today by our research lead, Natalie Novik. Hey, Natalie, what's up? Hi, Andre. How are you? How was your trip to Valencia? Yeah, really good. I was really happy to be there, both uh, about the city itself, where I had never been before, and uh, the conference. It was really interesting. I have recorded a few interviews, which I will uh, pack up as an interview special that you can expect to hear early next week. How about your traveling? Yeah, so I was in Slovenia last week at the City as a Lab Summit, which was put on by V2C and AV Living Labs. And it was incredible. We had such a great time talking about the future of autonomous vehicles. Really excited to be doing more in that space. A full week of travel ahead of me now, I'm going to Glasgow for a workshop this week and also down to London for a demo day. So look out for lots more um, content on those new items. Right. Did you have a chance to actually ride a self-driving vehicle down there? Not there, but I've ridden on a number of them before, and it's really exciting because they had a number of the big manufacturers there. So it was really interesting. It, the conference wasn't wasn't that big, but you had Daimler, Audi, Mercedes, Toyota, Nissan, all in the same room talking about the future of self-driving cars, and that was really awesome. Wow, that sounds amazing. Also this week, I wanted to give out a few shout-outs to the ecosystem for doing some positive things that I noticed first to TransferWise, who has made a point of opening their offices to EU citizens to apply for settled status. It's a really awesome move. Right now, the UK government for EU residents to apply for a permanent residency in the UK, they have to use an Android device. So everyone with Apple device, they can't apply through their app. So they've opened up their offices with Android tablets for people to come in their offices. I think it's a very great goodwill move. Next, I'm going to give a shout out to Revolut. I've been pretty hard on this company in the past, giving them a a difficult time, but they've decided to give up their office slogan of get shit done in an effort to improve company culture. So good job. It'll be interesting to see if the culture changes over there. And that's something we'll, we'll continue to watch. Is there going to be a new slogan now? Maybe there might be one. I'm sure they'll announce it on the blog and we'll definitely weigh in on it when they do. <laughs> well, this sounds interesting. As for the transfer-wise thing, I wonder if the is there actually a word already for this kind of discrimination when the users of one mobile operating system are discriminated as compared to the other mobile operating system? Do you think there's a word? It seems like there should be a word for it, but I'm not sure of one off the top of my head. Okay, if you're listening to this and you either know this word or can suggest one, uh, do let us know. We will certainly give it a thought and maybe write a story for uh, Tato to you. 
Now, speaking of uh, the shout-outs of the last week, what was the deal flow like and uh, what was the biggest deal? So this week, uh, well, last week, the biggest deal that was announced goes to France, where Mano Mano, a DIY e-commerce company, has raised 110 million euros. The company operates in France, Belgium, Italy, Spain, Germany, and the UK, and they're going to be using this investment to expand even further. So congratulations to them. And it's not a fintech company. Yeah, but it's e-commerce, which is another European speciality. So I think that is very fitting. I mean, it's just small steps. First, it's not fintech. Then we're going to diversify into different markets. Yeah, this sounds great. Congratulations to the company and everyone involved. Now, let's move on to the stories and interviews of the weekend. The one I wanted to talk about is the acquisition of Honeypot by Xing. Uh, so last week, Xing, which I have always known as the German LinkedIn, it acquired Honeypot for uh, what is called up to 57 million euros. So this was a good reason for me to read a little bit about uh, what the company is like now. And uh, the first thing I actually did, I went on the website and uh, found my account that I created back in 2010 and never really used. It was just uh, in a month after uh, we moved uh, from uh, Ukraine to the Netherlands for the first time. And I was... I I think I was just looking for the fitting uh, business uh, social networks and so on. So I created a Xing account. I never got, got back to it. Uh, the user picture on that account is hilarious. So going back to that one was definitely worth it, just uh, if only to, to laugh at, uh, at the picture. Now, let's talk about the deal itself. As uh, I mentioned, uh, the amount was up to 57 million euros. That's because the deal consists of two parts. First, uh, Xing will pay 22 million euros when the deal closes, that is, close to now, and that's an unconditional payment. Second, there is another 35 million euros in so-called earnouts, and this means that this amount may be paid to the founders within the next three years, when or if the company reaches certain performance targets. So what's Honeypot? Uh, the startup calls itself an inverted job board for technical professionals, and this means that on Honeypot, companies send applications to candidates and not the other way around, as we are used to. As far as I understand, employers on the platform need to provide more details about the jobs than elsewhere, unlike Monster Board or Indeed or something. But at the same time, candidates also need to go through a, what's called an expertise check to prove that they are proficient with certain technologies or, say, programming languages. As for Xing itself, it looks like the company has become much more than just a social network since I created the account in 2010. And what I totally missed is that two months ago in February, it announced uh, the rebranding of the holding company, which also used to be named Xing, and now it's going to be called New Work. So after this rebranding, which is going to be completed later uh, this year, new work will include a few parts. First of all, Xing, the social network itself, uh, that's not going to change its name. It's going to be Xing still. Second, uh, the new work conferences and awards that it's been holding for a few years now. And then there are two web platforms that it has acquired uh, over the years. One being Honeypot that it's acquired just now. And the other is uh, Kununu. And that's an Austrian employer review website, something similar 
similar to Glassdoor, as far as I understand. But uh, uh, the majority in Xing, I also wanted to point it out, uh, is owned uh, by the German media giant uh, Hubert Burde Media. So it's not an independent uh, company, really. And uh, Xing itself expects that uh, the Honeypot acquisition will help it to expand into new European markets. Right now, Xing is mostly active in German-speaking markets, and uh, uh, Honeypot also targets the Netherlands. So probably uh, we're going to see more of Xing in uh, the Netherlands uh, soon. So Natalie, you used to live in Germany uh, for a while. So have you ever used Xing? Well, my Xing account is probably it got as advanced as yours did, hopefully. <laughs> so that's to say I haven't used it very much because LinkedIn has become such a dominant platform, even in Germany as well. So I think it's very interesting. and I think it's a very good move that they are kind of broadening their offerings by a, yeah. through these acquisitions. I think that's a very necessary step for them to remain competitive. I got to see your profile picture on Xing then. <laughs> it wasn't quite as long ago as as yours was done, but <laughs> very interestingly, you have a lot in Germany this is still a big platform and it's especially if you are outside of the tech world and you're not in the English speaking technology landscape, there is a lot more happening on Xing in German. So in technology and software, people are mostly using LinkedIn as opposed to to seeing now. Yeah, but it's but it seems like that uh, with this particular acquisition uh, of Honeypot, uh, Xing actually wants to get closer to the technology uh, part of the market because Honeypot uh, focuses squarely on uh, uh, technical uh, technical talent, technical professionals. Right, and Honeypot's a pretty interesting company. I know Emma Tracy, one of Honeypot's co-founders, pretty well. She was very kind enough to do an interview for me for for this project I'm doing. Her other co-founder is a real technical co-founder. Right. So he developed Honeypot as something that really would help him for staffing companies that he was working on. And it's it's great that they connected through the Berlin startup ecosystem. So it's, it's a great story there. And they're both really smart and ambitious people. And they put together um, a platform, I think, that is, is serving the, the markets pretty well. So I'm very happy for them that this is this is a great acquisition. And the problem for this product is definitely there because there are so uh, many technical jobs in Germany and in Berlin. So... Yeah, and, and and what I understand now is they're also doing a lot with remote workers as well to find uh, jobs in Germany, but from wherever they are. Okay. So it, it solves a, a very um, necessary problem that companies are facing at the moment. So this checks all the boxes, I guess. Uh, so Natalie, what did you want to talk about? Yeah, so this week I wanted to talk about a couple different developments of the European VC landscape, because in the last two weeks, there's been over 500 million euros that have been raised for different venture funds to invest in European companies. First, I want to share that at the early stage, last week was announced by founders has raised a new 100 million euro fund to back Nordic and Baltic startups. And they're going to be funding really early stage VCs, so pre-seed, seed, and series A funds. And they're going to do follow-on investments in, in their companies. And what's really unique about this fund is that amongst the institutional investors that have come on board, the backers include more than 50 local and regional entrepreneurs. So they call this group uh, the collective, which sounds a bit, you know, 
it's important not to confuse it with the other, the collective, which is a British co-living company. But this specific collective has some, they can provide some important smart money to founders to really add to the fund. So they have their industry knowledge and their networks across Europe to Silicon Valley and beyond. And I think it's representative of a trend that we're seeing in the European VC landscape that with more funding available than ever before and more new funds, Funds have to do more to differentiate themselves from others in the landscape and really demonstrate their value. And founders ha- have the chance now of being more selective. And it forces VCs to be innovative and, and show really where they can provide added benefits to founders. So in this case, the having this collective of community support brings on a lot of local talent and it gives by founders a really unique offering. Next, I wanted to share that there's two new growth funds. First, by Now to Capital, which has 55 million euros to help support their later stage portfolio companies. And then another 83 million pound follow-on fund for Octopus Ventures to do similar work. Here is kind of the next trend in European venture capital landscape that we're seeing. So there's more and more follow-on funds than ever. And this is really important because as both of these funds have indicated, this money will help ensure their investments are truly long-term and that they won't be diluted in the future. So with upcoming expectations of larger and larger valuations in Europe, early stage investors don't want to get crowded out in later rounds. So this is an important trend that we're seeing. The next deal I want to highlight, and this is a pretty huge new fund by Omer. They're putting in 300 million euros behind this, and they'll be doing Series A and Series B investments in a number of different verticals. And if you don't know what Omer is, it's a venture capital arm of a Canadian pension fund. So they manage the retirement savings of 500,000 municipal workers in Canada. This stands out not only because it's a monster-sized new fund, but in Europe, pension funds make up only a really small part of today's European venture capital landscape. Diversifying the funding that's going into VC is something that the EU Commission and others have really been working to develop here. And it only happens to a limited extent, mostly in the UK, but also to a lesser extent in the Nordics. Why does it matter where the investment money comes from? Well, according to Harry Briggs, who's leading Omer's fund in Europe, pension funds are really looking for long-term relationships with their companies. Briggs also highlights that founders and consumers are increasingly conscious of the ethics of where the investment money is coming from. And he suggests that taking money from a pension fund that's supported by 500,000 Canadian workers' retirement plans might be easier for founders than taking money that was raised from private family funds that supports, quote, making billionaires even richer. I would imagine that European founders would rather be supporting pension funds coming from European workers, but maybe this case will spark a new trend. This huge fund from North America represents another thing that we're seeing in the European VC landscape, that if you have more not that you have more non-European investors than ever before. So writing in Sifted, Ian Hathaway finds that 22% of capital invested in Europe in 2018 came from U.S. investors. And this number has increased from 12% in 2013. Part of we see this change is because the data has gotten better over the years, and it's easier for global funds to identify new types of promising companies, and they're really powered by data. And the better the data is, the more transparency there is about the companies 
that are available here in Europe and the success they're having, it makes investing easier, especially across the ocean. And this isn't a really big change moving from 12% to 22% in just a few years. And it's of no surprise that some of the biggest investment deals in Europe last year came from non-European investors. For example, the Auto One deal from SoftBank, which was the largest deal of the year. While every week we'll just have to wait and see what happens, but it'll be interesting to see if the new OMERS fund encourages more pension funds to invest in European VC. And if that's the case, I think a lot of European founders would really appreciate having that option. Yeah, absolutely. I do agree. And I think I have heard certain conversations about why European uh, pension funds are not as active uh, as uh, LPs uh, for uh, other funds or just investing uh, directly. I don't really understand uh, what the problem is and why they are less active than their American counterparts. But uh, I do hope as well that uh, this will change something here. Yeah. And some of the things that I read about why pension funds aren't investing so much in European technology companies is because they're more risk adverse and they were hit really badly in the downturn of the crisis. So they're looking for really safe, stable investments. I think maybe it's just a chance of a matter of time of seeing more and more success cases from Europe, which we definitely are seeing now. So maybe that's something that that will be very soon to change. I know it's something that a number of different groups are very keen to change. Yeah, for sure. Right, moving forward uh, with uh, today's agenda, now we have uh, the pre-recorded interview uh, that was uh, taken by Robin Wouters, our uh, founding editor, and uh, the interviewee here is Alice Agree uh, from The Family, a very interesting speaker. So uh, check it out, and we will be back to continue with the events and recommendations within a few minutes. Robin Walters for Tech.eu, and I'm here at the Startup Europe Summit in Cluj, Romania. And I'm sitting now with Alice Zagri, as one of the co-founders of The Family. Your first time in Romania. What do you think so far? Oh my God. Yes, first time. I love it. I'm in Cluj. I took a direct flight from airport Beauvais, which is really far from Paris. But anyway, I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> well, you just mentioned it, Paris. This is where the family was born. For those who don't know, what is the family? So the family is a family for entrepreneurs. We bring education, tools, and access to capital to more than 200 startups in Europe, wherever they are. And we have three offices but now four offices, I keep this. It's three offices we used to have in Paris, London, and Berlin. And now there's a new one, a fourth one in Brussels. So why Brussels? I can kind of see London, Paris, Berlin as the major uh, hubs in Europe, but Brussels? No, it's like we've been um, called by Brussels. You know, it's like a natural move in a way. Huh? Every time we used to uh, set up conferences there, the fit was obvious. The crowd was there. Uh, we have a history uh, of uh, many, many, many startups applying from Brussels. There is a huge community already that was watching our content when it was in French, you know. Yeah, yeah. Culture, uh, of, of course, language plays a huge role. And um, naturally, we thought, okay, it's not so far from Paris. It's uh, it's less than two hours away. So let's uh, set up an office there and let's be much more hands-on on the ground with the community there. So every month there will be office hours, conferences, so the, they can feel that they don't only have to uh, uh, watch YouTube or uh, come to Paris or London or Berlin to have access to the family. Well, welcome to Brussels. I look forward to participating in uh, some of the events there. So you um, scratch the surface of what the family does. I think it's a super interesting model. So I'm going to let you get into a bit more detail. 
Yeah. So at the family, we discovered that we could not just apply an acceleration kind of model, uh, like you may know uh, from Y Combinator textures, because the ecosystem and the environment is much more different. And the very first barrier to entrance uh, to uh, entrepreneurship is the mindset. So we focus on education a lot. And basically what we started doing was uh, welcoming amazing founders and operators from Silicon Valley most of the time to share the backstage of their stories. And we put it online and step by step, we didn't just allow the, the founders, local founders to access to this information. We also translated it. Translate not in the language, but translated in the how to do it with your context here in France. And uh, a generation of uh, new uh, entrepreneurs started really learn through our content. And if you want an image, basically, we are like a school of entrepreneurship, but we are not like this in a, in a standardized mode. We are really a Montessori kind of school, meaning that we don't have like one program, day in, day out, demo day, boom. It's, we are lifelong partners. We adapt to your needs. So it's much more flexibility. And it means that you can come at any stage and you will have any kind right. of problem. So basically you provide a platform that entrepreneurs can sort of pick and choose what they need for them and then yeah. exploit that. Yeah. It's really cool. Can they also get funding from you and resources and access to investors? So what we do right now, uh, as of today, is we facilitate. We uh, make the best intro with the best uh, VCs in the best con terms, conditions, and soon then be more. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You can share it. I'm not going to tell anyone. <laughs> no way. You're a journalist. A good one. Um, no, but yeah, obviously we want to be able to invest, uh, uh, also in the startup that we accompany. I mean, the, the, the model would be, uh, would be stronger this way. Yeah. You also raised some funding of your own, right? So you have your own investors. Does that put any pressure on you to sort of, uh, do different things and provide a return eventually? I mean, the LDT, uh, when they, when they entered, really we had to level up in terms of organization. And, uh, it forces us to, uh, really be much more long term, to think much more long term, because we used to be like, uh, you know, we didn't know how much money we would have two months in advance, yeah, yeah. like one month in advance, even, uh, most of the time. So this kind of stress is, uh, first, this is it puts this, this stress out, uh, first thing. But it's a good thing also, you know, because our organization has always been on the ground with the entrepreneurs and not thinking like an investor uh, kind of mindset. Like I put money and, and, uh, you do and, do, and do the thing. Exactly. We are really always been on the side with the entrepreneurs. So uh, having this mindset is important and we want to keep it. But it's true that with LGT coming, we level up our um, strategy, our vision, our long-term game. And, and it's crazy when some, when an actor like that bet on you, how suddenly new doors are open to you. Nice. I didn't know there was an invisible world. <laughs> and right. now, yeah. So what is the long-term play here? Um, you know, which geographies, verticals, what do you want to do? What kind of operations do you want to add or enhance? Um, we want to do what we, what we're doing. But, but scale it up. Yeah. But I mean, and, and to really create this platform for Europe. And it's not just uh, like a concept. We really want, and 
uh, or founders not to think in terms of either Paris, either Madrid, either Milan. No, really, they have to connect the dots in between the cities and take advantage of each places. In Berlin, you have the best CEOs. In London, you have the investors and the money. In Paris, you can find the designers. I mean, start thinking this way. Start thinking uh, it's one place, it's one market, and I will uh, manage to make my own salad. Right. I think that's a great philosophy and it's going to take you a long way. But maybe, maybe specifically about Paris and the French tech ecosystem, which is, you know, in the spotlight right now for the last few years. So much growth, so much things happening. Station Neff and Macron, the French tech visa was just announced. How do you see that from the inside? Uh, I mean, it's a good thing because basically it means that m much more people are aware of where the startup is and uh, they, they are no longer in a teeny world. I mean, it's it's becoming much more uh, well-known as um, the tech ecosystem. And um, what you see as a, a reverse effect, I mean, the backlash, is that you, you will have more and more people doing it for the wrong reason, I would say, because it's been validated in a way, because it's no longer a pirate thing. Uh, and, and so somehow it's making our, our job also more difficult because we, we, we are looking for the burn head, you know, like, like really yeah. the people who do it because they couldn't do anything else. And in that sense, sometimes it's making it harder. But on the other side, you, you, it, it means that the market is much more bigger also as well. Right. Final question. I'm going to go there because you just came from a panel about women in tech. Um, you're obviously one of the formidable women in European tech. Um, oh, no. So what is what is your summary of uh, what you learned on stage during the panel? I love it. I love to hear that even in Poland, in uh, Hungary, in everywhere the same problems, everywhere the same problems. And we all feel the same. Uh, what I've learned here, I, I really love the girl who was uh, uh, helping uh, uh, young girls from under 12 years old uh, to start to, to learn how to code. I mean, for me, uh, she's exactly on the right thing that we need to work on. And it's this, this start from a young age. Yeah, yeah, yeah it starts there. After that, I mean, uh, being uh, totally f uh, transparent on the number is necessary. Every company should publish, release uh, the their data. How many women and what's the salary gap? And and then we talk, and then we talk, uh, and we'll see. Okay, but let's start from like a, a real data point you know a, a, something that is real and no one can say yeah but no this is a, an obvious figure right. okay so let's let's look at it it's let's ambitious see. but yeah necessary they're starting to do it and they're starting doing it in i think in germany and in the uk yeah. uh, and it's it's creating a, a good pressure right uh, well um, i'm sure people heard the bells in the background that means we have to uh, go to our next session but thank you so much for taking the time and enjoy the rest of the startup europe summit thank you robin i'm so happy uh, to be here with you and i hope i'm gonna see you tonight yeah see you soon see you Hello and welcome back to the podcast of tech.eu, episode number 113, released on April 10, 2019. It's still us, uh, Andrew Degler and Natalie Novik, and we are moving on to the events section of the show. Now, Natalie, what should we be looking forward to? So there's a lot of events on in April. We're getting just really to the start of the big conference season, which kind of takes place May and June um, over here, but 
from April 15th to 17th in Dublin, Ireland, we have the Industry Product Conference. And this is an event for software product managers and anyone that wants to come together to build, launch, and scale software products. It looks like a really interesting event. And it has a full day of workshops and then lots of practical hands-on learning and two days of speakers. So if that's something that is interesting to you, the, the link is on our website. And the next event I wanted to highlight this month uh, takes us to Kiev in Ukraine, Andre's home country, for WeGame 5.0. WeGame is Ukraine's largest gaming event, and it takes place from April 20th to 21st. And why it's worth checking out is it's also a celebration of geek culture. So gaming and geek culture, there's quite a lot of overlap there. And it looks really cool because it's bringing together esports alongside with like cosplay and table games and lots of different prizes and competitions and uh, developer awards. Gaming is really big in Ukraine and especially mobile gaming. There's over 2 million Ukrainian mobile gamers out there. So this event is really bound to be popular and it is a key element of this conference. And something that kind of tickled me about this event is that each visitor has the opportunity to choose their player class when when they register. And for me, I would join the PC Master Race. So it seems like a very fun time. And if you're looking for more things to do this month, do check out the event section of our website. Andre, what player class would you would you register for We Game Five Zero? Okay. okay, I'm looking at the list of the player classes. Uh, so first of all, I do have to say that uh, to my embarrassment, I have never heard of this conference at There's all. Twenty five thousand people have been in there, so yeah, it, it, do, it really does cool. sound like a great. It doesn't sound like a great fun. Uh, it totally does. Uh, so the different player classes. Now I can actually I think I can take most of this so I can do PC Master Race for sure. Uh, so there is a Geeks class for board games uh, that uh, I'm very uh, happy about as well. Then there's console gods. That's something I would not do because I don't own a console and I don't really play console games. Then we have the old fags. That's for retro games. That's that's certainly me though. That's that's absolutely me. I do love uh, playing old games. And before we started recording this episode, I actually spent uh, twenty minutes watching this short documentary about uh, speed running of the first level of the uh, of the original Doom game. Uh, it turns out that in February, a new record uh, was um, set at eight seconds. So you can beat the first uh, level of the original Doom game in eight seconds. This is amazing. And uh, also, I will actually link to this uh, this documentary because it's amazing. It's, it's really interesting how people can spend literally years trying to shave off one second from the previous record. It's a, it's absolutely fascinating. And now there is Mobile Ninja player class, which I'm not, no, that that's not myself. So PC Master Race, then Geeks, and then the old fags, with the latter probably being the most um, fitting uh, uh, for me. That, that That's how I feel every time I talk about uh, retro games on this podcast. Yeah. So if you're looking for more things to do this month, check out the event section of our website. And if you have a suggestion to add, let us know in the show notes at the link that we've provided. Now, this is time for the recommendation part of the podcast. Okay, I've just recommended uh, a documentary about uh, Doom speedrunning, but I will uh, uh, actually do the recommendation. I 
intended to do initially and this is uh, less of a cheery story i have to say this is the one about uh, uh, amazon and eero so i read the story on mashable the other day and i really wanted to uh, share it on the show and the story is called how amazon's 97 million dollar era acquisition screwed employees and minted millionaires so in case you missed the news in february amazon said that it would uh, acquire a company called eero and eero makes uh, mesh wi-fi solutions uh, uh, for homes. So the idea here is that if you have this uh, big house with the thick walls, you can have uh, issues with the Wi-Fi coverage and uh, Eero puts a few devices, sort of like mesh routers, uh, into different uh, places of your house and they talk to each other and uh, they create uh, much uh, better coverage than a normal one router would and the speed is, uh, as far as I understand, superior to what you would get with just a router and the repeater or something like that. So the announcement sounded very positive back in February and I kind of thought uh, that the things uh, were going really nicely for the people at Eero and everybody is going to get some money if not reach out of this uh, acquisition but it turns out that it's not the case at all and uh, the only people who actually benefited uh, from this acquisition were uh, 10 executives who are now staying with uh, Amazon to help the company grow and those will take home some 30 million US dollars in payouts. The other employees and investors will either lose money or best case scenario just get nothing. Here's why. Uh, At the time of acquisition uh, the amount wasn't disclosed which actually usually kind of means that uh, it wasn't a great exit. And now Mashable has supposedly seen documents that show the extent of not great, and this extent is uh, pretty uh, big. So according to the story, uh, the deal amount was uh, 97 million US dollars. And this is less uh, than the total amount of venture funding that the company had raised. So it's pretty easy to do the math here. If you have attracted uh, 138 uh, million dollars in funding, and then you as a company are sold for 97 million of US dollars, something did not go well along uh, the way. And uh, the worst uh, part of it uh, for the employees is that Eero's stock was made worthless uh, by this acquisition and uh, now it would be at uh, 3 cents per share. But for employees, it would cost about 3 US dollars per share to exercise the options that they have. And those who did exercise these options, they basically lost their money because they believed in the company they worked for. Similar story with investors, depending on the stage uh, they bought their stakes, they will receive anywhere from uh, 31 to 84 cents on each dollar invested. Definitely not the outcome that they uh, were expected or or hoped for. So check out the full story in the show notes. There is a bunch of interesting details uh, to read about. I won't uh, uh, repeat everything. It's definitely worth reading. And Natalie, what's, uh, what's your take on this story? Yeah, it really shows kind of the casualty of raising a lot of investment and also kind of this slippery slope of what can happen with an acquisition. It's interesting uh, why they took this route. It must have been what they felt was really the only thing that was open to them. And I know currently there is a very big push here to be able to facilitate in Europe more stock options for employees with kind of this intention that, well, the stock options will kind of be in exchange for a higher salary. And it it does kind of give some nuance to that because it can sometimes turn out like this. It's not always a positive thing, just being able to offer stock options to employees. And startups are risky ventures and you just never know. 
And and that's really unfortunate that it's it's workers, especially those that took the chance on the company in the early days that are the ones that are losing out. Yeah, and that's uh, that's especially true for hardware startups, uh, which era was. It's really hard to survive when you have this uh, bigger place that at any moment can basically undercut you, uh, and they have enough uh, cash to offer similar solutions uh, uh, for less money. So there is always something to be wary about. So, Nadal, what was your recommendation? I, I can see the title of it in the docs that we are sharing for this episode, and this sounds absolutely amazing. Yes, and so this was a very exciting new development last week where Elon Musk of Tesla of SpaceX fame has released a rap song entitled R.I.P. Harambe. And this is a European story because he released it on Berlin SoundCloud. And Elon, of of this new (laughs) song that he dropped, um, he says, quote, this might be my finest work. So... I think you all should be the judge of that. And we will link to the song in the show notes. Love to hear your feedback and to see if this song potentially how it compares to his other fine offerings of which there are many different ventures he's been involved in. But rappers is a new one. Now, since I actually promised the guest appearance at the beginning, now I have to play at least part of this song on the air. So here it comes. Let's listen. A lot of auto-tune in there. Yeah, there's loads of auto-tune. It's definitely, it's basically like all, all auto-tuned. So this is more or less what it sounds like. So you can uh, check out the show notes for the full version if you're still up for listening to this one. Not exactly my kind of music, I have to say. But yeah, I guess that's a great uh, way to wrap uh, up this podcast. Thanks a lot uh, for listening today. I do hope that uh, you enjoyed this episode. If you are not a subscriber yet, uh, do subscribe today on uh, your favorite podcast app. And if you're listening on iTunes, please take a minute today to leave us a review. This will help others uh, find the show and this will mean the world for ourselves. Tell your friend or colleague about the podcast and uh, follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at Andri at tech.eu and Natalie at tech.eu. Natalie, thank you so much for joining today and thanks, thanks for the music. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Andri. Thanks everyone for listening. Enjoy the rest of the week and talk to you next Wednesday. Bye-bye.